Hello and welcome back to the Literary Salon Podcast. It's me, Damien Barr, bringing you another book of the week. Now, you might be packing for your holidays and you might be looking for something to read. You know that you don't need a reason to acquire a new book, but I just thought I'd mention that in case you needed one. So, let's do a wee bit of time travel, shall we? Let's go back to 1920s Birmingham to the Regent Hotel, where the Art Deco glamour of its opulent halls quickly becomes a prison when a snowstorm traps everybody inside. The guests, the staff, the ghosts, and perhaps something even stranger still. I just absolutely love these sort of locked room novels. And I really love books set in hotels, which you'll know because we feature a lot of them here on the salon. But just the idea of being trapped inside one sounds great, doesn't it? Mm, at least to begin with. Hokey Pokey is the title of the novel and the author is Kate Mascarenhas and it is our book of the week. Completely compulsive work of historical fiction. Now uh, you might know Kate already. She is the best-selling author of the psychology of time travel, which I know The Guardian loved. They said it was a dazzling, genre-defying debut. In her latest novel, the character Nora has come to stay at the Region Hotel to spy on Bernice, who is a famous opera singer, married to someone of interest. Nora is a trained psychoanalyst, and so she's always on the lookout for, you know, all the telltale things that give us all away all the time and she finds more than she has bargained for. Is the hotel haunted? Is what she's experiencing a figment of her own troubled mind? Or is something else happening? Or it's a combination of all three? Kate brilliantly teases out Nora's past so that each new detail adds a piece to the puzzle and kind of leads you down one of those possibilities. And I love that. I love the delayed character revelation. And it's exactly that technique that keeps you turning the page. It's really clever not to give it all up front. And I always wonder with those books whether the novelist knows and is doing a sort of strip tease or whether the novelist is finding out as they go along something for me to think about with my own new book. Anyway, here is Kate with a reading from Hokey Pokey. Hi, I'm Kate Mascarenas. I'm very happy to be reading exclusively for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon from my new book, Hokey Pokey. The section that I'm going to read is taken from chapter eight. At this point, snow has cut off the hotel. All their telephone lines are down and the guests are trying to distract themselves as best they can but are starting to feel claustrophobic. This scene involves our protagonist, Nora, and also Bernice, the famous opera singer who Nora has conflicting feelings for. So here's a short extract for you. The Narcissus Bar was the most profitable concern in the Regent, and cocktails were the bar's most profitable offering. Maintaining cachet involved labour and expense in hidden quarters. Laundry maids washed and starched pristine white jackets for the barman. They had to be the brightest white, the easiest colour to stain, as a show of confidence in the barman's steady hand. The abundance of conical glasses, coupes and thick-based crystal tumblers that flashed on the shelves was worth twice the average man's salary. To account for customer breakages, the head barman restocked glassware daily. He had a memory for 300 separate cocktail recipes, 
He knew the prices by heart too, though he never provided those unless they were asked for. Drinks were credited to the room. He devised new drinks with seriousness. He experimented with vermouth or orange peel or benedictine and turned equally seriously to the business of naming. The Hunt and Peck, Comfortable Importance, Amoroso, Apple Squire, Drowsy Bess, Stargazer, Roaring Boy, Chanticleer, The Hokey Pokey. That last was his favourite, evoking for him every childhood brush with the heat and sting of woodland nettles and the scent of warm leaves. But it was a connoisseur's choice, and in the rush on the bar that night was drunk by only Nora, while Arthur Crouch matched her drink for drink with martinis. By the time Nora returned to her bedroom, it was late. She pushed the dressing table up against the door, because a chair seemed inadequate for a full night's protection from invasive elements. Moving the dressing table required considerable exertion and she had to lift one corner at a time to shuffle it along. Eventually the door was blocked. Nora rubbed her palms with her thumbs, where they'd suffered friction against the table, and then, in the darkness, she lay on the bed, closed her eyes and allowed her breathing to slow. Nora's right hand rested above the covers. Her skin felt the wet, slippery contact of a tongue and Nora's eyes shot back open, a cry stuck in her throat. She thought a man wrapped in pelts licked her skin, then she saw an outstretched hoof clear enough. This was no man and no dog. The beast breathed with a panting rasp. She watched the creature lift his head. She saw his long snout and curved teeth, white and glistening in a dark mouth. She recognised his kind. This was a high ring. His odour was familiar, like leaves silting. Another such beast stalked her childhood memories, and Leo told her it could not exist. She now saw he was wrong. The hiring stretched his long legs before him on the rug and juddered. Nora glanced at the bedroom door with its barrier still intact. She sat up and drew her knees to her chest as the beast bounded upon the bed. He lay down among the kicked-off covers, the mattress sighing beneath his considerable weight. His eyes were wet and fixed upon her. His tongue flashed back out over his mouth as though she was something appetising. She got out of bed, never turning her back on the animal. He watched as she hauled the dressing table far back enough to open the door, then she flinched in the light of the corridor, her hand shaking as she drew the door shut again, keeping the threat inside. Her feet were bare. She shuddered, knowing no one would believe her, then remembered Benice's fantasy that a killer was on the loose. Fine, Bernice could face the hiring down, let her be eaten. Nora strode down the corridor. She took the back stairs rather than wait for the lift like a sitting duck. Stumbling in her haste, she reached the correct floor and found Bernice's suite. She rapped on the door with force and rapidity for what was surely a full minute. 
she was rewarded with the sound of footfall and the appearance of Bernice in the doorway. Dr Dickinson, Bernice scolded, what a hullabaloo! Nora's words burst forth like water from the mouth of a girl pulled to shore. There's something in my room, there's something in my... Bernice's eyes glittered. A kind of beast, Nora gasped. I'm not going back down there. You can see it on your own. Room 427, the door isn't locked. Bernice pushed past her and walked towards the lift, a smirk playing about her lips. She'd find out it wasn't a laughing matter soon enough. Nora waited. When she heard the lift doors close, she entered Bernice's suite. She passed through the drawing room and the orchid-strewn hall to Bernice's midnight blue sleeping quarters and a wardrobe large enough to constitute a room of its own. Nora took a dark dress from the rack, a pair of equally plain black shoes from the shelf above and some combinations from a drawer. It was emboldening to swap her clothes for Bernice's undergarments to replicate her in layers upwards from the body. Nora fastened the dress. Her skin itched against the fibres. It clung more tightly than it would have over Bernice's body, but not conspicuously so. Nora decided she'd keep the clothes. When she next saw Leo, she must wear them. She wondered whether the dress was one he liked. I found nothing, Bernice said from the bedroom door. Nora's mouth tasted bitter. The monster was still loose and Bernice was still here. Did you say you saw a beast? Bernice asked. What shape did it take? A man? The question was laced with innuendo, suggesting a different, everyday kind of scandal. No, it revealed its full monstrousness. He smelt of the woods and like formaldehyde. How disappointing that he didn't stay for me to see, Bernice replied. I've seen such things before when I was growing up, Nora said. They're called hirings. They shapeshift and they eat human flesh. I don't want to go back there. None of my barricades kept it out. You can stay here. Bernice cocked her head, looking upon Nora's theft of her clothes with a benevolent air. We'll be like schoolgirls in a dormitory, won't we? She readied herself for sleep in Nora's view. She turned her back and slipped off her gown to the waist while singing snatches of song. Nora looked at the pale arcs of her shoulder blades, the sierra of her spine. Against Nora's own interest, she had to acknowledge Bernice's power. She remembered that papery kiss in the telephone kiosk, the transporting voice in the bar, the glowing electricity of Bernice's hair. Leo never stood a chance. You ever want to get married, Nora? No. But you received offers. Yes. But not from the one you wanted, I bet. You were disappointed in love. He made another match. So many women after so few men. Nora laughed at this mixing of perceptiveness with misapprehension. You're wrong. I think there's a certain degradation in marriage. As soon as you admit someone to yourself in that way, you're vulnerable. Marriage isn't something I'd ever choose for myself, whoever the man. You're very independent, not like me. I approve, but I'm also sceptical. No one's immune to love. You're the seer. Nora was arid. Look into the future, 
Will I ever marry? Yeah, I promised I'd read your fortune, didn't I? Bernice approached. She looked into Nora's eyes and clasped her hands. Nora expected her to commence her usual pseudo-trance state, to predict a story with the greatest drama, perhaps a tempestuous elopement or a tragic loss. When Bernice remained steady, Nora realised, a second before it came, that a barb was coming instead, the casual assertion of a pecking order made by schoolgirls in a dormitory. You're right after all, Dr Dickinson, Bernice said matter-of-factly. You're never going to marry anyone. Oh, Berenice, she could be on Drag Race. That is some tongue that you've got there. You're going to love to hate her. Anyway, thank you, Kate, for joining us on the show. Natalie Marlowe, author of Needless Alley, described this book as a delicious piece of art deco gothic. And it's got a twist that I'm sure you will not see coming. And if you do get in touch and tell us, because obviously you're psychic and we'll know next week's lottery numbers. Hokey Pokey is published by Apollo, which is an imprint of Head of Zeus, one of our favourite publishers, and it is available now in all good bookshops. So grab a copy from your local indie or from the Salons shop on bookshop.org or get down to your local library, because don't forget, it's your library and it's free and hopefully they'll have it on your shelves for you tomorrow. As always, please do share this episode with your nearest and dearest so they can get ahead of their reading and be the first to discover things that we love. A copy of Hokey Pokey is going to be up for grabs in an upcoming giveaway, so follow our socials, particularly our Instagram, for your chance to win. Thank you for listening, happy reading, and join us again soon. Bye.